Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sheila Shoiga and welcome to Ready To Be Real Conversations, the podcast series where I chat to people of all walks of life. Some names you'll recognise, others you might not, but my hope is that these conversations will at times inspire, challenge, educate, comfort or simply entertain you. This week I speak to the incredible Charlene Masterson. The judge stopped and he said, sorry, he said, we'll just go back to this park. He said, um, no remorse whatsoever. Is that right? And the bar said, oh, you know, he admitted, you know, admission has been, he said, I'm not questioning the admission. He said, but there's no remorse whatsoever. And there wasn't, there wasn't nothing. There's never been a sorry lack. Charlene was subjected to horrific sexual abuse at the hands of her father, David, for over seven and a half years. The abuse started at 18 and the details of which are truly shocking but her ability to talk about what she went through is remarkable. This summer, she made the brave decision to waive her right to anonymity in the hope of helping others who find themselves in controlling abusive situations. Now in her early 30s, she's getting back to what she loves to do and is finding herself again. And in this conversation, we talk about so much, including the bond she has with her mother, the damage of pity and the importance of friendships. Here it is. So can we talk about your your father mm-hmm. um, and maybe kind of going back to your childhood and what you remember as what was the dynamic between you as as father and daughter? Um, so I would have been a very like I was I'm an only child. Yeah, I would have been the only grandchild on my mum's side till I was 13. OK, I was one of 12 on dad's side. I was the youngest for maybe six, seven years. Um, everyone else kind of like my my dad's brothers and stuff they have more than one so they're it's a big-ish family yeah. not massive but it's big enough um we wouldn't have kind of spent that much time together um i was a very 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 busy kid i had something on every day after school don't know how my mom kept up 
she I don't know I don't know how she did it but what was it music dance all that kind of stuff everything swimming drama first date you name it I did it it, Um, and I was a good student I was a good kid Um, I was never in trouble it would actually upset me to think that I was in trouble which is hilarious Um, but I only kind of ever remember dad taking me out maybe three times okay on a father daughter level so you spent most of your time in your early years with your with your mum yeah even in my later years with mum okay um, and I don't know why. I and mean, that was your normal. Yeah, I didn't think anything it was of us. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, and like I see now, like um, a friend of mine lost her dad a few years ago, and I see the love that's there. I don't think I ever had that mm. to a level that I see other people have it. Shall we say? Yeah. Um, with mom, that's a different story. Like we're best friends. Do you know? It's there yeah. was just a different. She put time and effort into me growing up. I don't know maybe at the time it was because he was working I don't know but I always remember mum working a lot but still found the time you know so Mm. it's that kind of difference and again this is all in hindsight hindsight's fantastic but yeah for me it was just normal because I didn't know any difference you know man you don't question it when you're a kid I suppose you're just ever yeah and would you see dynamics with your friends and their fathers and think god that's a bit different than what I have yeah um not really like dad from looking like if you looked in from the outside he mm. was the joker the center of attention you know he would help people very sociable very sociable now not in um like he didn't have a lot of friends kind of he wouldn't go out with his mates to the pub or you know he wasn't a massive drinker mm. um which i'm kind of thankful for because god only knows if he had been what might have been but mm. he didn't you know he didn't socialize a lot outside the house um and I remember he was mad into technology, so computers and all that, which now again, hindsight's fantastic. We now mm. know what he was at. But yeah, yeah. um yeah, like I never I don't know. I didn't because maybe I wasn't in my friend's house a lot. In my friend's houses really at all with their parents, you know, the only reason I'd be there is to stay over for dance class or or something, you know, so it wasn't I genuinely didn't notice any kind of difference mm. in dynamic, really. So were you not given a lot of freedom growing up? Um, Like, I wasn't one, like I didn't, I still don't drink. Okay. Um, So I wasn't a teenage, you know, going out with your friends on a Friday and sitting in a field having, I don't know, whatever drink you get your hands on. That wasn't, wasn't me. Um, did even you ever now, drink? I don't even like to say I did because it was, laughable the amount that like I'd have maybe one or two yeah, yeah. pops, and that was kind of it and you just realized this is not for me I just don't like you know you hear people oh, I can't wait to go out and get get drunk I'm like mm. yeah I drive everywhere now I'd rather drive and you know make sure my friends have gotten home and that sort of thing yeah yeah can't be doing the taxi queue on a Saturday yeah. night in town I just can't do it <laughs> but I just yeah it was just never yeah but I am always last to leave the dance floor and I'm always last to bed on at a wedding or whatever you know it's not I don't need it thankfully yes to enjoy my night so yeah, like now, and I think it was only when I was writing my victim impact statement for court that I realized how far back his control kind of started. Mm. And it, it kind of stemmed around the time that I started hanging around with boys or I had male friends. Mm. And I had no interest in boys. Like it was not in my psyche whatsoever. Um, 
and we, we're talking early teens probably 13 first year in secondary yeah. school um yeah. st john's ambulance was they started a brigade in our school on a friday night so we were, myself and the girls like oh yeah should we go for the crack yeah and we stayed there and we made lots of male friends and sure. it was you know it was a close-knit gang and all so very normal very normal yeah and no like even none of us were involved with each other like it wasn't just that type of gang we just liked hanging out and yeah yeah that was kind of it and that's kind of where it stemmed back to that's where it started so what he was uncomfortable with you having any sort of just wanted to know where I was at all times yeah who I was with and now I'd like not saying that I could understand it but I would have maybe had a little bit more understanding had I been a troublesome kid or Mm. had I been hanging around street corners or you know but I was always dropped to wherever I was going and collected there was never yeah a time where I was making my own way to somewhere or I was on my own going somewhere, you know? And again, as you said, it's it's easy to look back um, with the gift of hindsight and realise that this is just out of kilter. This is yeah. o- over the top behaviour for, you know. But at the time, that was your normal. Yeah. You had a strict dad. Yeah. Who liked to, you know. And you know, see it a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, people have strict parents. That's fine. Yeah. But this just went a little bit too far. Yeah. So. So when you mentioned there, like he was very computer savvy and he then started to monitor, you know, your phone usage, who you were calling, who you were texting. How did he manage to do that? He offered to pay my mobile phone bill. Right. So at the time it was with, I think it was Meteor and they basically, the bill used to go like a paper bill. I always remember this. And literally every phone number that you rang or text was listed. So we had all that information. Now, I think I discovered after he left that he'd actually tracked my phone. He had put a tracker on my phone. And these trackers are like, you can't, you can't tell that they're, that they're there. So he knew where you were, who you were with at all times. Who I was texting, what I was saying to them, all that sort of stuff. Like it's, yeah. Everything. It was extreme. (laughs) Yeah. And you were oblivious to this. Yeah. Yeah. God. And when did that start? Probably around 15. Right. 15, 16. So for those few years before he actually physically laid a hand on yeah. you, he already knew everything that was going on. So yeah. there, was, there was no, there was no privacy. Absolutely zero. And like, Jesus, my conversation with my friends were boring. Like, well, I, I mean, don't yeah, know why anyone stuff. would want to be, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's stupid stuff. But he knew everything. everything. Even down to like Christmas presents and stuff that like I'd be texting mum to kind of arrange a Christmas present for him. And like within a week of Christmas, he'd be like, oh, I hope you didn't get me. Such and such. And would that give you chills? Absolutely turns my stomach. Yeah. Because then I had the panic then because he he wasn't one. I'm very good at the, oh my God, thanks so much. And Mm. I absolutely hate it. I'm like, what is this? He just refused to even try and do that. You know, it was, there would be a row on Christmas morning if he didn't get what he wanted, but would never tell you what he wanted. So it was always, you were always on the back foot, basically. Always. So nothing made him happy? No. <laughs> ever, ever. And if it's not, because I know your mum isn't here to speak for herself, but like, would that have been something that she would have experienced as well in the sense yeah. that, okay, so she, she you know. Yeah, like, yeah. He, like I don't want to say he had a temper because he didn't, like he wasn't, he wasn't a violent man growing up. Like I never remember him being violent in the house. So I can't, you know, I don't want to, be towering him with the wrong brush that's not he wasn't that kind of man but he was a big man like he was six foot he was 
a fat man. Like he was 20 stone and it was just, he was a big, big man. Yeah, he was imposing. So that power was always there. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, but I don't So you didn't want to cross him? Yeah, ever. Didn't want to but I don't think him. anyone would have. Yeah. Even yeah. regardless of myself and mum, like I don't think anyone would have crossed him or wanted to cross him. So say that like on Christmas morning and like, gosh, I mean, we've all, we've all given dud presents. We've all, <laughs> we've all received, yeah, exactly. And you, and you do like, cause yeah. you, most of us are, are trying to be sound and kind yeah. of go, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, no, 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 I love it. Yeah, it's great. And you're kind of like, I've got a sellotape dispenser yeah, yeah. for Christmas. I'm like, oh, great. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Random. But like, you know, so he'd be annoyed. Would that last then? Would no, that... the whole day. Right. Like it just set an atmosphere and oh, be just... Yeah, it's just, I don't know. And you're trying to have a normal Christmas day and Christmas day can be, yeah, and I look, don't like family Christmas dynamics anyway. Are, yeah, and they're hard. They can be really, really hard for I really don't like people. Christmas. Even this year, I'm like, I've offered to work Christmas day. I'm like, And hard. is that because of your past experience? No, I just don't up. like Christmas. I yeah. just think there's a lot of pressure put on it. Yeah, yeah. Whereas I'm like, no, take the day to rest and, you know, but lockdown now, I've done enough. So I'm like, I'll yeah. work, it's fine. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, but... Yeah, I'm just not a fan of Christmas. It's just one of those things. Yeah. But that didn't help. His his dynamic didn't help, really. But again, it's what you said. It all comes back to control. He was like the puppet master. Mm-hmm. He was dictating the mood. Yeah. And what he what whatever mood that he laid down would be would be yeah. it. Yeah. And that's just Christmas like. What was his dynamic like with family members, his own family members, his siblings? Oh. They're a complicated bunch. Okay. Um, but he kind of would have been nearly, or maybe came across as kind of the boss, or right. you know, he would take charge of. I don't know. For example, when his his dad. No, this is from what I can remember. I was eleven when my granddad passed away, but he would have been the one that took charge and mm. you know did the organizing or did the bits and pieces, you know. And like, as I said, he always would have been the helpful one. Right, yeah. And I now I do, well, I get it from my mom more so than anything. I would go out of my way for anybody. I would do anything for anybody. Sometimes to my detriment, but I'm happy to do that. Um, but he was never happy with me doing that. So if I helped someone, there would be a row. Or if someone helped me that wasn't him, oh, right. there would be a row. So it's that kind of, again, control. It's all, all down to control. And I suppose for us, for those of us who haven't been through it and who haven't experienced it, we don't know how powerful it is, but I suppose it's this kind of drip feeding. Yeah. Over weeks and months and years and years yeah. and years. So by the time, you know, through your through your teenage years, he knows your every move. He's monitoring you. So by the time you hit 18, you have been completely manipulated before he ever lays a hand on you. Yeah. And because that type, and I don't think it's very easy. I've had comments, you know, over the last while, it's very easy for people to go, why didn't you just say something? Like I remember this is kind of in the midst of the abuse. And obviously mom didn't find out as soon as she did, he was gone. So she didn't find out till the end. But in the midst of the abuse, you know, mom just very innocently and understandably thought it was, he was just texting me all the time. And, you know, he was just on my case all the time. And she confronted him about it. So when she thought there was something wrong, she she did confront. And I think people have misconstrued that maybe through the news or whatever. Mum did what she thought was necessary at the time, you know. And he, you know, he'd give it the oh, I will, I will, I'll try, blah blah blah. And but there and was at this always stage she all she all she knew was that he was the kind of dominant parent all yeah. the time. Yeah. 
And, you know, understandably, she was like, she's an adult. She's not, you know, all I did was work and college because he'd stopped my hobbies and everything. Um, so, you know, he she kind of confronted him maybe four times. And the fourth time, I remember that night going to bed and maybe four in the morning, I woke up and he was literally, his face was right touched up against mine. And he was like, you didn't think that was going to stop me. And then I just never said anything after that. So that was, I think I put up for another maybe three years, two, three years. So mum did what she could with what she knew, you know, and then I just stopped kind of, I put on that, that front then. So when she confronted him, was it because of a conversation that he had? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And what would you have said to her? Like just, oh, he's just on my case because I obviously didn't want to tell her because I knew it would destroy her. So I really didn't want to ever get to that point where I told her everything. Yeah. Um. So, you know, she did. My mum's amazing. I will never think any other any other way about her. She's the hardest working woman, you know, and she did what she could. And I know she kind of has a lot of self-blame on herself at the moment. But I'm like, look, if you'd have been in the house 23 hours of the day, he would have got me in the last hour. You know, there's not, yeah. there was no way to protect me. He was coming into my part-time job. You know, there was just no, there was no stopping him. It reached a point where he just wouldn't. And again, he was never happy with anything. So he would have found a way. Yeah. whether mum was there or not so it's you know and I think this is a massive thing that people need to realize especially if they have someone that they think is going through something like this a lot of people like I've had teachers from school reach out to me and going oh we should have noticed the blame is not on people around you or the victim themselves yeah. it's all on the perpetrator no blame whatsoever lies anywhere else um unless yeah, you it's important to say unless you like consciously enable it yeah or then there's God, no yeah. blame you know it's yeah it's mental and it is hard for people probably to get their heads around because we don't know we haven't lived in your house we don't know what what it's what it's been like for you and now for your for your for your mother trying to come to terms with this bombshell when it landed yeah. with her and I know you're really protective of her and clearly there's a very powerful bond between you um and as you said your father was a master manipulator yeah so you turned 18 within a month of you turning 18 what happened? Can you talk us through that? Because this is... This <laughs> it's like is, a movie. It is like, unfortunately... <laughs> Genuinely like a movie. You couldn't write this. No, you couldn't. <laughs> um, so I got a text from this random number. Hmm. And it was like, I know what you did. Or I know what you've been doing. Or something to that effect. Now, as I said earlier, I don't, I don't like getting in trouble. So to think that I was in trouble or I'd done something wrong. Like, I was just distraught. I hadn't. In the panic... If I had just taken a minute, I hadn't done anything. Um, but this, whoever this person was, knew my dad's job because I tried to kind of fob them off. And I was like, my dad's a garden. He's going to typical naive teenager, you know. Yeah. And they were like, well, no, we know your dad works here. And this is his boss and this is boss's email. And they had all this information. Um, And basically it was, we won't tell them what you've done if you do what we say. And it was literally that and that just snowballed then from there. So in the panic then I contacted dad and I was like, look, this is this is going on. You know, I, I don't know what to do. Don't know who this person is. Yeah, and it wasn't, um, unfortunately he didn't do what I thought he was going to do, which was, you know, take control and be like, it's fine. It's grand, we'll sort it. It was, well, you'll just have to do it. And that's, it was literally that simple. 
and it was very nonchalant like that just yeah sorry you have to do it and the do it was was it requested in the text at this stage did you have any idea what lay ahead yeah and I think that's what made me go to him in the first place do you know what I mean it wasn't something like I don't know maybe in my head I was like look if it's money I'll find money somewhere and just you know but it wasn't and did you tell your dad like I've I've done nothing dad I've done nothing yeah he didn't there was no I don't even think he questioned if I'd done anything or not yeah it doesn't matter you have to do this yeah it was just very you have to do it and at this stage, you've you've had years and years of being controlled and I suppose groomed in a, in a sense Absolutely, by him. Yeah. So you are just. And thinking he was, you know, he was the protection. That he's a protection, and I have to do what he tells me. Yeah. What happened after that? Um. So there was a few meetings in the house, so just strangers and into the house and dad apparently was waiting downstairs and letting them in and he was there this was his his kind of story he was there to make sure nothing happened that I wasn't in any danger that was his spin on things um so you thought there were strange men yeah coming into the house yeah um and what were you told to do so I was to be blindfolded and I was to have headphones in um during it Playing music. Yeah. Okay. And like loudly. Right. Um, so that went on for two years. And again, like it's very uncomfortable even asking questions. That's okay. And I know you said to me prior to this, look, go ask. Go for it. Go for it, ask. Um, <laughs> but I know it's very, it's tough to even well, ask Well, it's, it's just that, you know, I, I don't want to put you in a position where I'm getting you to, you know, re- rethink such awful things that happened you know and the last thing I want to do is to re-traumatise you but when you say things happened what can you talk about what can you say um, well it's all in public domain now because it was in court so I can say what I like um, it, it was like sexual acts and stuff with these what I was told were strange men um, at some point there was two men um, I remember getting really brave one of the one of the instances and I was like well I'm not gonna wear my headphones and I got really sassy and then the person came into the room and noticed that I hadn't got the headphones and walked straight back out again and then dad shouted in you need to put your headphones in oh god right so there was always had to be a cover nearly so that there was no way of identification I'd say um but that went on yeah until I found these dvds um because two of the meetings had to be recorded as like proof type of thing. And this was something you were aware of. This was a threat. Yeah, because this was like, then I know you've done it and it'll be done. So I was like, great. And you thought, okay, it'll happen and then I'll move on with my yeah. life. And my dad will be okay. He'll be safe yeah, in his job. Yeah, fine. And when you found the DVDs, it was, it was, to, it, there was a link to your grandmother, wasn't there? Yeah, he had taken home his mother's laptop. Mm. Um, to put new software on or something so it was, I can't even remember what day of the week it was and dad was in work early so I was in the house on my own must have been a weekend and I was like oh I'll be really helpful and I'll put the install the software so I took out the rack with the discs in it and noticed there was two at the very front that had like um like squiggles on them just marker I was like oh I wonder what they are and I put them in and it was the recording of the first encounter I can only assume the second disc was the second encounter. I don't know. I didn't get that far. 
Um, but it was basically, it was dad on the, on the DVD. He was the stranger from the encounter. So, and then I kind of started to piece things together. So it was like, I never get messages from the stranger when dad's in the room. But again, nice. hindsight, fantastic. Of course, yeah. Um, you don't link those two no. together. Um, so that was... And how would you have known it was your it was your dad? Why would you even think it was? Of course yeah. not. Of course not. <laughs> it's just one of those things. You're so calm and strong in, in speaking about something so unnatural. But when you watched it, when you press play on that DVD, like how did you feel? I don't even think I can remember how I feel um, or how I felt at the time. Um, I know like kind of now I get baits of God, I was so stupid. Like I should have, I should have known or I should have twigged before then. Um, and, and, again, even, and again, that's crazy thinking. Mental, you but know. even I think oh, I should have spoken out then. But it wasn't as like dad always, I always had that fear. Mm. Um, but I remember after that dad came home and he was, he went to lie down because he'd been in early and I was getting messages then. I was downstairs and the messages were coming in and I basically out straight said, I know it's you. I know you're my dad. And within 10 seconds, he shouted from upstairs. So I went up and he, it was very much, how could you think I could do that? So again, the gaslighting yeah. whole situation, how could you think I could do anything like that? And there was a row and, you know, but I never got another text after that. So he's not that clever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, it's just, but I don't know then how it transitioned from that into just the open abuse in the house. Yeah. So this was three years into it, but the abuse went on for seven and a half years. Yeah. And although the text stopped, so the, you know, the strangers, Maria, yeah, yeah, yeah. are coming over to the house yeah. scenario stopped. The abuse didn't. No. Was there, was there a period of, of, of nothing or did it just, con- no. No, it just continued. And was this then no blindfold? Yeah, no nothing. Oh God, okay. And he then, you know, because he was obviously enjoying, this is what he wanted probably from the get-go. There was arranged meetings then with men that he just got pure pleasure out of arranging and organizing. And like I'd be in college and he'd be sending me pictures of men and this like this sort of carry on, which is just. It's it's really like mentally not right. No, of course it isn't. You know, and. And yeah. what was this like? You need to meet this man or this man. What do you over. think? We're going to meet him. Like together, he then portrayed us as a couple, which is the most sickening part of the whole thing for me. Yeah. Um, I know it's all not great, but that kind of, you know, we look alike. Yeah. Okay. I'm literally half and half of, of my mom and dad. Like it's, I'm literally half. We look exactly alike. It's, it's yeah. the most bizarre thing. Like it's just, and it still puzzles me as how he got away with it for so long how no one that he arranged to meet ever picked up on it. Or maybe they did. I don't know. So were they not aware that you were father and daughter? Not that I know of. I don't know. They could have been. Yeah. I don't know. And did all of this happen in your home? Yeah. Yeah. I always, I don't know. 
I always made sure it didn't happen in my room. Okay. Because I felt maybe that that was my little, the only room in the house that I could escape to. Yeah. That he hadn't infiltrated or he hadn't destroyed nearly. Um, posture. I'm still here, so it's fine. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it is, it's bizarre to think it went on for so long. And I do have bouts of kind of, I should have just said something, but it's not that easy. And I think that's also something people need to realise is that it's not that easy. But I don't think anyone can understand unless no. they've been through it themselves. Yeah. It's also important to say that you had never, you hadn't been sexually active. No. With anyone. I'm kids a boy till I was 17. Yeah. Like, you know, and even now, and we're seven, eight, what are we, 2014, seven years on, I still haven't, you know, I'm single, I haven't. You haven't had that yet. You haven't no, had. No, I haven't had relationships really. I've had one. Yeah. Very short lived. Nothing. Because I was always quite terrified that, you know, it was going to end up being the same. And I know, God, I know that's not the case. It's not all men, as we've heard so much in the last year. It's not all men. But for me, there was always that fear. Yeah. Um, thankfully, like I would always say, when I was younger, I would have always said I'd love to be married with kids when I was 30. And then this all happened and I didn't want any kids. I didn't want to get married. And now that it's kind of put to bed, I'm like, okay, maybe I do. And maybe I, you know, and that might be the next step in the journey. Like, well, we'll see. We'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. Well, you're where you're at now, considering everything you've been through is remarkable. But I suppose you're still you're still in a recovery phase, I would imagine. And yeah. you probably will be for a long time. Yeah, a very long time, I'd say. Yeah. Um, like I did try a lot of people and a lot of people would say you have to go to counselling. And that's something else I'd like to say. You don't have to. Counselling isn't for everybody. I didn't feel it was for me. Yeah. I would have always thought there was something wrong because I didn't think it was for me. I tried it. And what do you think didn't work for you? I don't like the idea of you have this one hour on this day with this one person that you can go and you're allowed to talk to them for one hour. And then and you leave it. and it's done. And that's it. Yeah, yeah. And you, you can't talk about it until you come back the following week. I'm like, no. So what what, what does work for you if counselling hasn't been thing? Or I wonder, is it a case of maybe not finding the right person, the right therapist? The and right... that could be the thing. I mean, yeah. I tried eight different people. Did you? Okay. And they were fantastic. I can't fault any of them. But I just don't like the structure of yeah. one hour, one person, that's it. And maybe right now it's not what you need. It's, and it could be down the line, uh -huh. I could go, okay, maybe now's the time. And it could work wonderfully. For me, it's the advocacy stuff that I craft. Um, people, thankfully, people now talk to me about it. Yeah. And I'd rather people talk to me about it or tell me they don't know what to say rather than not talk at all, which is what I found with a lot of people. They didn't know what to say, so they said nothing. And then it was just awkward. Awkward, yeah. Because they just didn't talk to me. So <laughs> I'd rather you say, look, I don't know what to say. And that's fine. Something I wanted to ask you, because for me, you are so powerful. Um, but I also know what it's like in a completely different way. I am absolutely not comparing. But the only thing I can sort of connect with is when I had a period in my life when I wasn't well years ago, right? Yeah. And I had a lot of people pity me. Oh, don't. 
yeah <laughs> don't do it yes like, just don't do it uh-huh. and it's it's very like I had I have a really I have a small group of friends I have a, a few groups but there's one group in particular we're called cheer squad because we're super cool <laughs> and we have a whatsapp group called cheer squad and it was set up when one of us lost one of the girls lost her dad okay. and we all rallied around and it's just kind of snowballed we go on holidays together we just we're just love each other's company we we're a, an empowering group of women we support no matter one of the girls last week i'm getting a fringe you're like okay yeah okay grand <laughs> and it was it's that kind of conversation yeah and i remember so the girls would have been quite aware of what i had been through maybe one of one or two of them in particular would have known a lot more than the other two yeah and i remember when we were in in court for the first day which was april and it obviously hit the media that day no names or anything but the details kind of would have hit the media and so this is kind of the first time that they were hearing it a lot of it for the first time Mm. and I remember one of them couldn't look me in the eye the next day just she was just devastated and this is something that I've had to come to terms with in that it's actually heartbreaking for my friends and my family that love me they have realized that the extent of it Mm. um and it it did just take that first kind of conversation it was a bit of chat you know it was fine um and it's all go 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 and thankfully then they have remained because I know it's like when someone passes away everyone's there for the first two weeks and it's when everyone disappears that Mm. you need that support then they've always been a constant support um and that's just one of my groups I have lovely groups of friends um, that have been so amazing. Um, but also I found that people that you thought were going to be there have been nowhere to be found. Yeah. Which has been eye-opening for me. Yeah. Because um, that's ha- a hard pill to swallow, even at any age. Um, I know it would have been when I was a kid, but even now I get quite hurt, you know, if people... And that's just my own expectations of people, which is definitely the wrong way to go about it, but... No, but I think it's a very... Uh, it's 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 worth giving... Um, you know, space just to, to speak about it because there is a stigma attached to sexual crimes. And, oh my God, yeah. Uh, yeah, and then not knowing how to relate or speak or know what to say or, you know, the the fact that, you know, you're, you're called a victim. Hate it. Yeah, Hate yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Because it's not, and I always kind of use, say like, because I'm obsessed with Law and Order Special Victims Unit. Obsessed with it. It's right. A, it's a, probably an illness or something. Like, I'm obsessed. But every episode, they're victims. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're sad. And they're, you know, it's, you don't have to be that person mm. to survive. You know, the pity thing absolutely just bugs me because yeah it's very destructive isn't it I've made it this far and no one's pitied me because you didn't know so don't start now (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah. just act normal and I think like I I I know I did the right thing with the anonymity because I've been able to thankfully help at least one person yeah way more than one and that you know it needs to be spoken about for a country with such a stigma with sexual violence and sexual crimes the stigma is horrific. Yeah. We shouldn't, we should be talking about it more. And people don't. Do you realise the impact you're having? Probably not. No, no, I don't think you <laughs> I do. I don't think so. <laughs> Which is a lovely, again, it's a lovely quality in you. Um, I'm kind of going here, there and everywhere with the, the conversation. Apologies. But, you know, 
and I know anyone can Google your name and see the details of 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 what happened. But essentially, the the sexual abuse it wasn't just sexual abuse; it was it was rape. Mm-hmm. Um, your father and other men, yeah, over time. And your dad was also violent. Yeah. So were you living in constant fear all the time? Yeah. So if I did, and I didn't, I didn't go out a lot. I really didn't. I did nine to six Monday to Friday in college. I worked three evenings, seven to 11. And I worked every Saturday and every Sunday. And when did that stop? The going out, the socializing, hanging um, out with your pals? He made me give up my job in my third year in college. So we're talking when I was 23. Right. So I've been going on for five years at this stage. Um, and that was simply to have, just to have you at home more. Because I would have been at home because mum worked so much. That when I was in college, I was at home. Yeah. So for people listening, again, it's the case of, you know, people might be thinking where, like, how did you get away with it? But she was away a lot working and she yeah, was also worked every, she used to work late a lot. Yeah. And oh, like she'd work from eight in the morning till 10 at night. Like it was, she was such a hard worker. She still is. Um, she only stopped doing late nights when my granddad took sick, when her father took sick. Um, and then it was, she'd go to the hospital every evening and... Okay she'd wash him and change him and you know because my nan couldn't do that by herself what was their relationship like your mum and dad like we did a family holiday every year right it was never like you would have never to look in you would have thought we were the perfect family normal absolutely normal yeah yeah and unfortunately that wasn't the case you know, yeah. it's and your dad was and I, like. Please excuse me if I if I cross a line no, by no. saying things, but he was he's far from normal. Yeah, he's, no, I, he's not normal. Not there's, normal. There's no normality there. No, it's yeah, he's he's not. And you know, people are like, oh, do you hate him? I don't because I don't feel anything anymore. Yeah, are you completely numb? I don't think I'm numb. Indifferent? I think I've just come to peace with it now. Okay, coming up to court. At this stage, I hadn't seen him in seven years, six, because I saw him the year after he left at my grandmother's funeral. But. So you went to the funeral? Oh, I did. Yeah. I'm quite stubborn. <laughs> wow. That's, um, that again shows a lot of strength. Mum was like, you're not going to go to the funeral. Oh, I am. Yeah. You're only going to go to the church though, right? I was like, no, I'm going to go to the crematorium. She's like, yeah, but you'll be home then. I'm like, no, no, I'm going to go to the pub. My free soup and sambos. But I sat there all day. No one spoke to me. And did you go on your own? So your mum didn't my, go with my, you? She came to the church. Right. Bless her. I think it took an awful lot yeah. to to get to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I also kind of went because I was like, I won't have anyone say that I didn't go. Yeah. She was my grandmother at the end of the day and I wouldn't. She didn't really have a lot of time for me growing up. Um, she would have always had something to say about what I was wearing or, you okay. know, and I remember... For example, I said to her, oh, I, I passed my last exam. I got my science degree. And she told me about a cousin of mine that did his first driving lesson. And that was the okay. the comparison of it. So nothing I ever did was ever going to be good enough. Right. You know, but she was my grandmother at the end of the day. And that's just the way it is, you know. And yeah, I went and no one, no one really spoke to me all day. and But I was determined to sit there. And at this stage... Had you spoken out about what the family knew? Okay, the family family knew. knew. So I hadn't. It took three years to speak to the guards after he left. Mm -hmm. Um, I know this is this is kind of me now. I'm kind of we're kind of going forward and back. So okay, (laughs) apologies. I'll try and keep it on on a bit of a timeline. So from the years of eighteen to twenty one, you were 
you were blindfolded, mm-hmm. you had the music blaring in your ears and you were being abused by what you thought were strange men. Turns out it was your dad all along. Yeah. Then you find the DVDs. You watch one. You realise it's the first time and it was actually your dad. The text stop, but the abuse continues. Yes. And all in all, it was seven and a half years. During that time, other men are brought into the mix. Yeah. Again, your mother is completely oblivious to this. Yeah. Because she was away a lot between work and 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 looking after her dad. Yeah. But there is this is a really important part, I think, of 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 your experience, of your story, as it were, which is that your friend who I've heard you speak about yeah. has been absolutely key in the un- unveiling of all of this awfulness yeah. that happened to you. And she clearly was a very intuitive person, but also she was training to be a social worker at the time. So yeah. she was aware. She had that kind of, she'd probably covered it. it or, you know, knew what to look for or, you know, and I always question whether if she hadn't been training, yeah. would she ever have spotted it? Yeah. Um, but yeah, my friend Audrey, she, dad took a disliking to her, surprisingly. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, because he was tracking my phone, he could see her interaction with me. You know, she was like, you need to, you need to go to counselling. There's something not right. She did ask me out straight mm-hmm. in the March of the year dad left. Um, he left in the June. She asked me that March out straight. Is your dad abusing you? And I said, no. Yeah. And she said, but you're not, you're not defending him like someone who's just been wrongly accused, if that makes sense. You know, she said, if someone said that to me about my dad, she said, I would be flipping. Of course. But I was just cool, calm, collected. No. And she just knew. Yeah. So she kept on my case then from March to June. She Mm -hmm. was probably on my case earlier than that because she'd heard a row um, in the October the previous year. So knew that there was something not not right about it. So um, would she have stayed over at your house? Yeah, between my house and the neighbours next door. Okay. Um, we were all in kind of dance class together and, mm. and stuff. But um, yeah, she just knew that there was something not not right. And the night that I told her, she had texted me that day. And she said, look, if you don't come over, I'm going to come over to yours. Mm. So I was like, oh, Jesus, no, I can't have that. Now, he was in work late, so I knew he was gone out of the house till maybe half twelve midnight half midnight um so i went over and we sat in her back garden for probably six hours talking absolute drivel about nothing in particular she was waiting for me to say something but i wasn't i was a sealed box nothing was avoid 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 and i was like right now i better go this for half 11 and she said well no you're not going until you until you tell me what you need to tell me and i was like i don't need to tell you anything were you defensive you were not defensive but I was kind of playing dumb I was like I don't know what you're talking about yeah and then she said look I'm just gonna ask you questions and you just give me yes or no then if you don't want to tell me what was going through your mind before she asked you the questions were you nervous were you were you were, or were you actually was a part of you going finally finally I get to say this I don't even know in my head I was like I have to go home because he's going to all be right. home I have okay. to go home so again even when he wasn't there the control was always mm-hmm. um and the fear you were petrified. Absolutely terrified. I mean, I used to come home from nights out and he'd be still up. You're talking like three, four in the morning. I'd sit around the corner on the ground 
in the cold waiting for him to go to bed because I just didn't want oh God, right. a row or any sort of interaction. What was the worst that it got in terms of, like, I know in terms of the, the, the sexual abuse, but in terms of the physical abuse, like, were there times when you, were you afraid yeah. that you were perhaps going to get so badly hurt that you, do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, and I think that weekend that I spoke out, that weekend I think had, that had pushed me. Right. That was, I, I had kind of reached that conclusion that I was like, okay, so there's two ways out here. He's either going to kill me or I'll have to do it myself because this is my life forever. Because I remember my friend was staying that weekend and in our house, the sitting room is... Audrey was. No, another friend another of friend. mine. Okay. Um, And the sitting room is under my bedroom. So she was in, my friend was in bed, in my bed and he had me downstairs against the wall by my throat. So he had reached that point where he didn't actually care who oh was there or who heard. So up to that point, it was kind of, you know, it, he had done it in secret or he had tried to keep that mask or that kind of happy side out. And now he had reached a point where he just did not care. And was that because he did it, did a part of him think or know that the truth was was going to come out? I would say so, because Audrey was actually moving country the following weekend. Right. Yeah. Or two weeks later, maybe. Um, so I know in her head, it was very much, I need to sort this before I leave. Wow. What a, what a friend. What She's unbelievable. Yeah, She's yeah. just... She's unbelievable. She still is. She's just amazing. Yeah. But yeah, I'll be forever. I know. Thankful. I know. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger. Feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. How did you feel when you said... When you finally, when you said the words, yes, my, my, like, did you actually say the words? My dad's no, been abusing me. She just asked me it straight again. <laughs> I'm like, I'm You just brutal. said yes or no. Yeah. Um, and then she, cause we were in, or she was actually living with a friend of mine um, at the time. And she went in and got my, my other friend, Fiona, and they both come out and she told Fiona what I had just told her. I was like, I didn't actually tell you anything, but whatever. Um, so the support was instantly there. Yeah. Um. But then I was like, right, I have to go home because he's going to be he's home now home. at half 12. And I remember Audrey saying, I don't want you to go home. Yeah. And I was like, no, no, I have to. And he kept me up all night. He used to row at me over text. So even if I went to bed, he would always row. I can't even remember what I think I went to bed. I wasn't there for him to play with when I got home. So because I was exhausted. I think I'd gotten two hours sleep maybe the night before. And I was up at eight the next morning for work and so he kept me exhausted and I remember leaving for work the next morning he had his bedroom door open and he slept kind of closest to the door mm. and I remember he just gave me this look it was as if he just wiped me off the bottom of his shoe and that was the last look he gave me I didn't see him after that because the girls then told my mum that day so you didn't have to have that conversation nope. me and mum probably still haven't had that conversation yeah um, and I know when I was giving my statements and stuff like the guards kind of prepped her before court because it would have been the first time she was hearing it. God, yeah. um, and it's just I, it's not a conversation. I, if I could have taken it to the grave and never told her, I would have. I would have rather done that. Oh, God. But I can't have everything. I, know. I also wanted him to not be around anymore. So. Of course, of course. It's just, yeah, you got to pick your battles, but. But it just says so much about the type of person you are. And, you know, uh, I can't imagine what, what you've gone through, but I also can't imagine what your mother has gone through. Because as, you know, as, as, a, as a mother myself, I suppose your priority is your kid. Like, that's it. Always, yeah. Do you know what I mean? You don't, yeah. you don't want anyone to lay a finger on them. And hearing that your own husband was the, yeah. the cause of all this pain and trauma must be so difficult for her to get her head around. Um. So he left the house. She was she kicked him out. Yeah, she rang him and she was like, "You get, get out, get out." And I think and maybe did he, did he admit it or did he deny it at this stage? I think he tried to. So when she rang, I remember her saying she rang him and said, "You know, how dare you?" or something to that effect. And he said, "Look, I'll get help." Because I think he thought I hadn't told her everything, or she hadn't been told everything. Right. He probably thought it was the texting. Okay. On my case conversation again. Yeah, yeah. And um, she said, you laid a hand on my child, get out. So within 30 minutes, he was gone. And that was it. Unfortunately, though, that wasn't the end of it. No, then he started his next adventure. Yeah. Which is, you know, it's for me, I, not anymore, but in the beginning when he was first arrested and stuff, I felt a bit of guilt because it was very much if he'd just been here and it was still me, then he wouldn't have gotten to anybody else. 
God, type Charlie, of thing. Do you really think you really thought? I don't know, but at the, time, at the time I did. Um, and I think what made me realize that it's all him um, is when we got to court this year. Yeah. Because that was just horrendous. <laughs> so by the time you made the, the very brave decision to, um, you know, speak to the guards and go down that route, he had already been arrested. It was actually the guards came to me. Okay. After that, I think I'm still unsure as to why they ended up at our door. Um, Because obviously he hadn't lived there in three years. Mm. But I think they, he obviously had footage of me. And maybe that's what brought them to to my door. I'm not really sure, but I'm very glad they did. Yeah, of course. Because now it's it's done. (laughs) I know, I know. But yeah, it's, it was a long process. I was two years giving statements. Yeah. And it was, it would have been the first time I said a lot of it out loud. Um for the first time so I can't imagine how draining and difficult it was yeah they used to be like six hour sessions gotcha in the guard station it's a long time yeah I could talk for Ireland I've realised but yeah it's yeah it's not it's not easy and I don't ever want to portray that picture Mm -hmm. because I know I have quite a positive outlook on it all but it's not easy and I don't ever want anyone that's thinking of reporting to think that it's easy it's not but there is an end in sight. You know, it's it's a means to an end. You've spoken in a very positive way about your experience. You feel like you were very well minded yeah. um, by the guards you were dealing with. But then it's, it's another level then when you go into the courtroom and the Irish system, unfortunately, as we isn't know... Isn't always on your side. It's not always on your side and is flawed. Um... Again, I'm kind of going back one step because simply because for people listening who are not aware, he did go on to abuse other teenage girls. He did, yeah. And because he was arrested for those offences, it then transpired that, okay, he's done that to girls that he didn't know necessarily or whatever it was, but he also carried out abuse on his own daughter for seven and a half years. Um... How did you feel that first day giving your first statement? Quite like the first statement is quite, um, you know, my name is, I'm this age, I do this. It's very biographical nearly that it's just, you're just talking about yourself. So you don't really Get tip the on the abuse yeah, until yeah, the yeah. second one. Um, and I think people also need to be aware. The first one's probably the easiest one because... Okay you're not really talking about what you need to talk about. It's just kind of setting the picture of you as a person. Um, I found it quite difficult to come to terms with the fact that I didn't remember everything when giving my statement. So I know I've spoken to a lot of abuse victims over the last while that have contacted me through my Instagram or whatever. And I know one of them said, oh, I just want to make sure I get everything in my statement. And I just kind of had to, very kind of softly say, look, you're probably not going to get everything in your statement because I'm one of my two years since I stopped giving statements and I'm still only remembering stuff now. Right. So it's not as easy as I want to make sure I get everything. You won't. You will not get everything. 
Um, well, it's a coping mechanism, isn't it? I would imagine that you shut you down. You bury your... it so far back there. You just don't want to think about yeah, it. And yeah. then you just can't find the box that it's in yeah. to put into your statement. Um, so I think it's very important also for people to just be aware of that, that you're not going to remember everything as much as you want to. Mm-hmm. You're not going to. Um, because you you unconsciously just bury it so deep that it doesn't want to be found. And then it can hit you like in the middle of the night. I actually have a notebook by my bed that I throw everything into. If I wake up in the middle of the night after remembering something, yeah. I'll throw it in there. Yeah. If it's painful, I rip it out and throw it in the bin. But because I want to write a book, that's kind of my end goal. Yes. So this is all going to help, I hope. Um, it's all gibberish, most of it. But yeah, I think it's important that people, there's not a lot of guidance for victims, unfortunately, mm. on this stuff. Mm. Um, but thankfully, there's strong survivors that want to change that. So hopefully that will change in years to come for other people that are coming forward that, you know, the help will be there. But there's organizations out there that are fantastic. But in relation to like guidance on giving statements and stuff. Yeah. You can't really give guidance on that. You know, it's it's your statement. So no one can write it for you. I suppose in 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 your situation, I would imagine the footage that the guards uncovered was was key. Yeah, and the fact that he pleaded guilty. Yeah, and I'm also quite. And he pleaded guilty to everything. Yeah, yeah. There was no no question from him on anything. Yeah. And as I said, I didn't even include everything. You know, that was just probably a small fraction. Yeah. Um, there was 31 charges, so. Who knows how many there could have been. If everything had have gone in, you know, um, what was he already serving? He was already serving a sentence of seven, I want to say seven years. Yeah. So my sentencing now dates back two years to when he was initially arrested for it. Yeah. And the sentence he got was 18 years, but one year suspended. Yeah. He got a headline of 24. Yeah. Plus five for sexual assault, but he was going to serve them at the same time. Mm -hmm. And then because he pleaded guilty, that was the mitigation. So that dropped it to 18. Um, but he'll be out in 10. He's due for release. In yeah, and this years. is what the complicated thing is about the legal system. And it is hard for people to get their head around. Now, you know, people might think when they listen to the level of abuse and, and control, that would maybe seem like a, a light sentence. But in the history of... It's probably uh, one of the most harshest yeah, given. In, in Irish law. I think someone said that last high one like that was a few years ago it was 22 as a headline and then obviously it comes down then from there so actually I think it's one of the highest if not the highest given for sexual crimes in a long time what age is your dad now late 50s uh, 65 um, 60 56 56 so he'll be out at 66 right that's my fear lies in that it genuinely does. Does it? Yeah, just a little bit. Because I know um, coming up to the court, um, I got involved with the Rape Crisis Centre. And um, the lady from there that is like the court accompany person, she rang me. We were in court, say, on the Monday. She rang me on the Friday and she was like, just checking in, just want to see how you're doing, how you're feeling. And she said, I just want to check to see if anything might, if you feel anything might throw you mm. on Monday. And I had to think and I was like, I think seeing him for the first time might just give me a little wobble because, you know, it's been seven years and 
you know, he's older and he'll have lost loads of weight and he'll be really frail. And I was nearly afraid that I would get that pang of guilt or sympathy kind of going. I was like, okay. So she was like, grand, we'll sort it. She said, there's a glass panel on the door. We'll let everyone else go in, let him be seated. And then you can have a look in and have your wobble before you walk in. So you can walk in really strong. And I was like, great, sounds like a great idea. And then when I got to the court, he hadn't changed a bit. Yeah. It had no impact on him whatsoever. And that made me wobble because he was still that strong, big man that I remember. So I had the wobble and that day was the evidence was given and I gave my victim impact statement. So that was all done on that one day. Wow. How did you do it? I don't know. Well, I'm kind of because he was to my right, like he was sitting probably closer than you are to me now Mm. in the courtroom because of the way the courtroom's laid out. But I'm also blind in my right eye, so I couldn't see him. So it was fine. Okay. okay. Um, But, and I know when I've said that to people, they're like, oh my God, why isn't he over the other side? And I'm like, but if he's over the other side, he's in your eye line. Yeah, okay. Whereas when he's beside you, your judge, the judge is actually to your left. So you can actually turn your back completely to him. Yeah. But it was also a sense of power um, from my point of view. So when I know when I walked in, like he looked straight at me, there was no, like he looked me straight in the eye multiple times. Has he ever, has he ever said sorry? Nope. There's no, there's no, um, remorse, remorse whatsoever. Mm. And I know it was something the judge commented on as well. God. Um, cause there was a psychiatric report and the judge kind of, he only had, bless him, he only had 15 minutes to read it. Um, the second day we were in court and he kind of skimmed it for 15 minutes and then took two weeks then to the sentencing so that he could properly look at it. But I know the defense barrister went through it all and the judge stopped and he said, sorry, he said, we'll just go back to this paragraph. He said, um, no remorse whatsoever. Is that right? And the barrister said, oh, you know, he admitted, you know, admission has been, he said, I'm not questioning the admission. He said, but there's no remorse whatsoever. And there wasn't, there wasn't nothing. There's never been a sorry luck. Yeah. What was the assessment of him? Was it was there was there anything given? Was it was there any label given to the type of individual he no. is? And I'm sorry if I've crossed the line no, by no, even no. saying no, that. No, not at all. But you know, you know, not showing empathy, not showing remorse, not showing guilt, despite admitting doing this. Yeah, to there was you nothing. And the other girls. Yeah, I, I, strange man. Um, there was a, a kind of a, an allusion to something happened in his childhood. I don't buy, I don't buy anything like that. Do you not? Nah. An excuse? Nah. Don't, I don't buy it. He, like there was a, an illusion also that he'd been bullied in school. So was I. Yeah. I was bullied for 12 years. Doesn't mean you go on and abuse your child. You know, it's just, I'm like, well, in that case then, I'm next up on the abuser list. Yeah, yeah. If, if that's, if that's know, the road we're yeah, going to yeah. take, yeah, then yeah. it's not an excuse. You can't, you know. Yeah. It just doesn't, I just don't buy it. And I think I don't buy it because there's no remorse. Do you know what I mean? I think yeah. maybe if he said sorry or he he was remorseful at all, mm. I'd go, okay, maybe he just, you know, he realizes how wrong it was. Yeah. There's no... Like he didn't say there's something wrong with me. I shouldn't have done this. Yeah. He didn't no. think there was anything wrong with what he was doing. No, not at all. How do you feel about him now? I feel nothing. I felt that on the second day we walked into, because we were in court in April, then June, sorry, I got moved around so much, June and then July. Mm. 
And in June, so that was the second day I walked in, I felt nothing. Like there was no anger, there was no sympathy, nothing. Do you still see him as your dad? Nah. No. No. I no. don't have, I haven't had a dad since I was 18. Simple. The, the, yeah. It's literally that simple. That first, that And first that might time. sound very cutthroat, but I'm just like, no. Why am I, why would I nearly hold on to that kind of feeling or hope that I have a dad? Because there's no... Mm-hmm. You know, and I remember someone saying to me, um, oh, he's still your dad. And I was like, no, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not even entertaining that. And I'm very much a, you know, don't, you know, respect your elders. And and I found family members, not immediate family, but family members go, oh, he's still your dad. And I'm like, I'm just going to walk away because yeah. I'm going to actually be really rude if I don't. So I'm just going to, before I say something, you know, and I have to consciously make decisions like that because I don't ever want to have something that he did make me out to be a bad person or yeah. put me across in a bad light just because of what he done and my reaction maybe to something that he's done. Um, so I really consciously just try and not engage when people kind of say things like that because I just, I wouldn't be able to hold my tongue. No. I'd explode. I wouldn't blame you. No, I just can't. I <laughs> can't yeah. entertain it. Well, it's, it's no, nobody has a right to say that to you either, no. how you feel. Nobody has the right to say that to you after yeah. everything you've been through. It's a strange one. So the fear that you lived in and the the darkness that you felt, because you did say like you felt like it was either going to be, it was either going to go two ways. He was either going to take your life or you were going to take your own. Yeah. That's how dark it got. Yeah. Um, how do you, how do you manage life now? Like, do you sleep? Do you have a level of comfort in your life now? Or do you feel the fear, fear creeping in sometimes? No, I don't think I'm obviously conscious or kind of weary of men in general. Mm -hmm. So I always say, like, I love a hug. I love a good hug. And any of my male friends, like jokingly, I'll go, do you realize how lucky you are? I'm letting you hug me. And it's Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, because I don't, I'm quite a good judge of character. Mm. I'm kind of. If I take a judgment straight away. Now, I obviously can be swayed if I don't like you when I first meet you, but I would be quite weary of men in general. And that's obviously the repercussions of everything. Of course. Um, But I have my hobby and I go on my, I went to my first girl's holiday when I was 26. Never been so happy in my life. Like I was delighted with myself. Um, and I'm like, I go out and this may seem like a really tiny thing, but I go out and my phone stays in my bag unless I'm taking a photograph. And that never used to happen. Like you, had, you had to have the phone I'd literally on you. have my phone glued to my hand. Whereas now I actually put it in my bag and go and dance in the dance room with my friends. I could be there six hours later. I'm like, yeah. And Great. then my phone yeah. is still. In my, so it's little things like that. The liberation of it. That I'm, I don't want to say allowed to do, but have the freedom mm. to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I have the freedom to do my hobby and just, yeah, go to shows every week. It's great. Well, not in the last two years, but we'll get there. Because <laughs> you're a big fan of, of as you said, shows, of musicals, musicals yeah. dance. Massive fan. <laughs> uh, yeah. I've spent the last two weeks in London and I've just been living my best life for the last two weeks. It's been great. Yeah, I'm back in my... Getting back into my happy place now, which is singing and that sort of stuff. 
So I, so I suppose it's probably an obvious thing to ask or to say is that I would imagine you found yourself a bit lost during that period. Yeah, because I wasn't allowed to yeah. do anything. Yeah. I really, I can, like, I've danced since I was three. I did ballroom at the age of three till I was 21. Wow, did you? I just loved it. I still love it now. Um, but that came to an end. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I love to sing. I just love it. And I, even during lockdown, I didn't sing for like the whole. So now I've gone back to rehearsals. I'm like, oh, Jesus, I can't sing anymore. Like it's, I'm like, oh, crap. Out of practice. But that kind of stopped. No, but it'll come back. I really hope so. <laughs> I really hope so. You might record a, a pretty powerful album. Great. Time. <laughs> Let's do it, Sheila. Let's do it. But we could use yeah. the space as a studio. Let's do it. Um, we're on. We're on. <laughs> so it's great to see that you're able to kind of find yourself again throughout all of this. Yeah. And um, and this is a really important message for people listening who like it's, it's very hard to understand that level of control and abuse for as long as it is. But it's it's possible to move on from that and you're living breathing proof of that yeah don't like it's very hard when you're in it to see the light very bloody hard Mm. but one day at a time it's the thing me and my friends say one day at a time sweet jesus it's just yeah don't try and plan too far ahead Mm. because you'll drown yourself you just you'll be so focused on six months time that you'll miss the day-to-day stuff. Mm. Like I got like the, what was it? What day are we? Wednesday, mm. Monday, bank holiday Monday. I got called down to my friend for a cup of tea for a walk. Actually, there was no tea involved. It was supposed to be a walk. It ended up a cup of tea, then ended up a takeaway. And it was just, but that stuff gives me absolute joy because I wasn't allowed to do that. Yeah. So that day-to-day stuff, is just gold dust to me. Mm-hmm. It's just amazing. Um, and even just like the random, when we go get a coffee, yeah, come on, we go get it. Like that sort of stuff. Enjoy that stuff. And I can't sit here and say that it's an easy journey. It's bloody not. I can't, I can't fake that. It's not easy. Mm. There is days where you just don't want to go to bed. And you're like, mm, I'm not going to go to bed today. It's fine. Or I'll work from the couch because I just don't want to get out of my jammies and that's fine. But you also have to trust your gut. And so I know at the moment I'm currently really anxious about going back to the office. I just don't want to do it because this has obviously all gone down since I left last year. And I'm quite content and happy at home. I'm working longer hours, but I'm comfortable and I'm happy doing that. So that's really daunting for me. Yeah. But I'm also trying not to think about it too much. And, you know, that's you have an you have an added layer with everything you've gone through. But I think a lot of people actually. It's um, the same. Yeah. Just because of the fact that with the pandemic, we've a lot of people have been working from home. And so there is an anxiety that comes with going back into the workplace. But for you, it's it's the. The added, yeah. okay, what are the, how, how is it going to be? Yeah, and it's more, a lot of people, like I've heard from people in work going, oh yeah, such and such said they're going to reach out to you and they haven't. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, is that all going to happen when I go back? Mm. Is it, again, that element of, are they just not going to say anything to me? Are they just not going to talk to me? And it's that level of fear 
that I have experienced in the last few months of people just avoiding you completely because they don't know what to say. But I do think a lot of people don't know how to respond to... And they don't. A lot of stuff, to be honest. And they either go completely quiet and ignore you and won't make eye contact. Yeah. Or will give you the puppy dog eyes and give you big hugs. And sometimes... You don't need that either. You don't need that either. You get the sympathetic that, head tilt. Yeah, yes. How I had that. And that used to drive like, oh. me insane. <laughs> the pity party, it's very damaging. And I remember reading people's accounts of, you know, the, one of the worst things you can ever do when somebody has been brave enough to open up about a something, anything, anything whatever yeah. it is that is, is difficult for them, is to pity them or to sympathise. It's sympathy not why is damaging. You've done what you've done. Correct. We need to move to a place of actually respect, compassion, and letting that person lead. So if any of Charlene's colleagues are listening, <laughs> when she goes back into the workplace, don't. No, don't do the head no, tilt. No head tilt, no puppy dog eyes and no uh, avoiding her either. Just bring chocolate and back away slowly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the way to my heart. <laughs> um, yeah, but I think like I know um, I'm working with the Rape Crisis Centre. Yeah, I haven't yeah. actually been for the few weeks, but I think that's because I've been AWOL and been going to weddings and on holidays. But their new campaign is consent. And I remember mm. sitting down with Nolene, the CEO, before I went on the late late. And I was like, I just want to know a bit more about the campaign because if Ryan asks me about it, mm. I just want to be able to tell him something about it. And yeah. I know her main message was, we just need to talk about it. It's, it's, and it, she was literally like, ta-da, like it's that simple. Yeah. Is having the conversation. And I think it's the same. It works for kind of anything. Mm-hmm. Like, sickness or like cancer or like sexual abuse mm. you just need to talk about it yeah. it needs to not be a taboo subject anymore and as i said for a country with such a history mm. <laughs> like sexual crimes and like mother and baby homes and all this sort of stuff we need to talk about it because by not talking about it it doesn't solve the issue it also doesn't make it go away no it doesn't make the past go away or disappear but it just shows you that you're just ignoring it and you're not acknowledging that it happened. And shame is so powerful. 100%. And I think that's one thing with the anonymity side of things is that people feel there will, like victims feel, there will be a shame put on them. Yeah. And that's just not. No, but you're living proof of the fact that you can shed that shame and 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 take that brave step into the unknown. Um, and with that comes, I would imagine, if, you know, as, as difficult as it is, it's 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 very personally empowering to know that I'm I'm not allowing this secrecy to dominate my life anymore. Yeah, and I think my mom, I know mom was quite worried about the anonymity stuff. Um, and I remember she went over to the to the guard station to be basically prepped by the guards before the court case yeah. the first day yeah. and she came home and she was like oh my god she said the case file is huge there's just boxes and boxes and boxes of stuff and I was like alright and then she said oh um, Ian so Ian was the detective leading my case she said oh Ian said you know you can change your mind on the anonymity like right up to Monday and I just kind of went mum I said I can't carry this anymore Yeah, I can't do it I cannot and it was more in my head, I was kind of more thinking of mum than anything else because mum is a hairdresser and, you know, when you go to the hairdresser, you talk about anything and everything and what's yeah, been in yeah, the news yeah. and etc. And I didn't want her going into someone's house and for them to say, God, did you see that story? That's disgraceful. Da, 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 da. Where was the mother? And for them, you know, to be unaware mm-hmm. that it was ma'am. Yeah. And that it was me. Um, And I know... 
when we were in court for the first day in April and the details were kind of put into the media without names that evening, she kind of saw the outpour of support for us. Yeah. Um, and I mean, my phone has never stopped going since April. Um, but mum's phone was also going just with outpours of support. And that's been amazing. Oh, good. And I know the anonymity, the day of the sentencing, the actual sentencing, I'd been kind of prepped. I'd done sit down interviews with Ortee and Virgin Media mm -hmm. the week before. And that was all kind of prepped. But I knew I had to talk to them outside afterwards. And I was like, OK, so I had to think about this. And I know my decision was it was my decision to go into the spotlight. It was at mum's. Mm -hmm. So I literally went in. And I said, you can all go home because a few members of my family were there and friends. And I was like, you can all leave. Mm -hmm. And when you're gone, I'll go and deal with the media. Wow because it's my decision. It wasn't anyone else's decision to be on camera or to deal with the media, it was mine. And I remember, like we have a family member that unfortunately has been through a horrific time as well. And they went through the court case. They had a trial, unfortunately, okay. 10 or 11 years ago. Um, so I had that guidance as well, which was just incredible. I, I don't think I'd have made it without um, was it a similar case? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was awful. Oh um, but I was able to bounce the anonymity stuff because they didn't wave. And yeah. I kind of was able to go, why didn't you? And what's, you know, mm -hmm. no, there's a lot, like a lot in the media, the laws and regulations around media has changed in the last few years, mm -hmm. which is great. Um, but I did my, my questions outside the court and then I literally walked to my car by myself. I was like, this you is amazing. You weren't followed. This is amazing. Yeah. So I knew there and then I'd made the right decision. Yeah, because you had made that brave move to just this is me and I'm going to speak. Yeah. So but had you not, you may have had photographers or cameramen running after you. Ringing the house, knocking yeah, at the door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's not, you know, it was very much. You took, them you what took they the want. power back. Yeah. You took the power back. Give them what they want and then they'll leave you alone. So we yeah. did. What message would you have for for someone listening who I suppose number one is either being abused or is worried about somebody in their circle who is? Uh, if you're in it, talk to someone. Mm. As much as you think, I know I thought no one's going to believe me or you even question whether you're imagining it or whether it's as bad as you feel. Um, talk to someone. You'll be very surprised of how quickly the support will literally just like a cuddle blanket it will literally just envelop you and just take you through it um mm. write things down is my my one pointer i can give because when it comes to actually speaking out you're not going to remember everything because it is an awfully stressful thing to do and it's a time when your brain will let you down mm. Um, I know I kept a diary and I dated pages. I think it was a whole beautiful notebook and I think I used like three pages. That's all I used in it because I stopped writing. Um, but that went in as evidence. So it's all... And like, even if you're not ready to speak out now, prepare to speak out. Mm -hmm. um, for anyone that's worried about someone, just talk to them. Yeah. Tell them that you're there. Don't talk at them. Cup of tea and a biscuit. Like yeah. it's... And you don't even have to talk. Yeah. And it's just, 
like I want to I want to develop that because as I said I always question whether Audrey would have noticed had she not been training in that area and I feel that it shouldn't be just people who are social workers that have this skill it should be everybody should have the skill from your experience now um having been through it and also I would imagine learning about other people's coping mechanisms are there key signs when somebody is you know I, I don't like to use the word again, but it is the word, the victim yeah. of, of abuse. You know, is, are there certain telltale signs the person is being abused? I remember asking Audrey this question because I was like, she's probably the best person that, yeah. to ask. And yeah. she said, you basically withdrew from everything. So she said, you are the person that would do anything for anybody. And you stopped being there for your friends. Mm-hmm. And you stopped helping. And you just you just stopped being yourself but I think that's a telltale sign of when someone is going through anything really yeah did you shut down emotionally yeah so even if the person you're worried about isn't being abused there could be just something else going on so by you even just opening up yeah and saying look I've noticed you're not yourself is everything okay sometimes that's all it can take so it mightn't be what you think but it could be something else yeah I don't think Audrey knew it was as bad as it was But she also knew that there was something not right. So, you know, it's just, yeah, just watching out for people. Yeah. And I mean, anyone that's currently going through it, I can't recommend the Rape Crisis Centre enough. They're just incredible. Yeah. They are incredible. If anyone does want to reach out, they do have uh, a 24-hour helpline. Yeah. I'll add the, the details anyway into the show notes. They also have an online chat now from 10, I think it's 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. So if you don't, because I know I'm a wagon, I don't like talking on the phone half the time, but I'll text and I'll type it up. So yeah, even yeah. if that is something, um, and I know I've had people that I've been chatting to and they're like, what do I do? And you know, I need to talk to someone. I'm like, just get on to the right crisis center. All their volunteers are like, especially trained to talk to you about this sort of stuff. Yes. And I know someone said to me, do you get the same person every time? So I didn't know the answer to that because I had never actually used their helpline. Mm. Um, I've just dealt with them on a personal basis now. Um, and I remember asking um, the lovely cleaner from the Rape Crisis Centre about that. And she was like, well, no, but that's basically, it serves a purpose that you don't get the same person every time because it gets you used to talking Okay, yeah. To multiple people. They're all trained. They all, you know, they all understand. So, you know, you might get one person another day, but it serves a purpose that you don't rely on that one person, Um, which I thought was actually, oh, that makes total sense. To me, it makes total sense. Um, So, yeah, they're just, they're incredible. The website is rapecrisishelp.ie. So you'll get contact details for all the different rape crisis centres yeah. around the country. Um, I know you said you had hopes and dreams when you were younger about like what the future would hold. Yeah. And then, you know, your your kind of your mantra now is one day at a time, one step at a, <laughs> time. at a time. Are you hopeful for what the future will hold? Yeah, I mean, one of my pals, bless her, set up a GoFundMe for me after court in July um to try and get me because I always wanted to be a teacher or a nurse 
after living through the pandemic I don't want to be a nurse anymore god bless them couldn't do it um so I've funds there now to do a course in something I don't think I'm going to go the teacher route at the moment but I'm going to use I'd love to develop education programs for schools yeah this is my thing yeah um and that would be kind of my dream would be to to do that and travel the country delivering and like training teachers to deal with in disclosures or whatever. Um, but yeah, I hope to maybe be married with a child, a mini me. My mom's mm. like, oh Jesus, she only had <laughs> one. She's enough. But yeah, I mean, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But I mean, it used to be, no, I don't want them. So we're getting there. Yeah, yeah. Recovery's getting better. But yeah, but it's. But keeping an open mind, that's in itself is a hugely yeah. positive. I'm not closing it off anymore. Step, yeah. Which is great. Yeah. Great. I didn't think that had happened <laughs> yeah. at all. But yeah, we'll see. There's not enough words to describe how impressive you are. And uh, and I love the fact that you have such a, a, a you know, a love and a joy for, for life. And I'm I'm delighted to see that it hasn't been diminished despite everything you've 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 um you've had to contend with, you know. Thankfully. Yeah. And I suppose what better way to, and it's not about revenge, but they always say the sweetest revenge yeah. is, is actually moving on and living well and living happy. Yeah. You know, he didn't, he didn't destroy you. No. And I mean, he has no life. I know he's out when he's 66, but what has he got? What has he got? Yeah. What has he got to come out to? Do you know what I mean? There's nothing. No. He ain't got nothing now. Yeah. So, and it's his own fault. So it is. It's literally that simple. He has paved the way for himself. Yeah. So that's it. Yeah. No one else can change that. Yeah. Charlene, thank you so, so much. Um, Let's let's record this album. Great. Do it. (laughs) Let's do it. Let's get started. I'll be your backing singer. Backing dancer. I mean, no, I'm expecting duets here. This is, you know. My friend was like, you know, she sings. I was like, shut up. Let's do it. And I wish Charlene all the love and luck in the world. She is such a gorgeous person, inside and out, and deserves all the best that life can bring her. And if you've been affected by this conversation, please do check the show notes for resources which could help you. You've been listening to Ready to Be Real Conversations. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods 
for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.